0: Gentlemen,
1: can I please have your attention? Daniel, <laughs> greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. I am literally in the world headquarters of Dispatch Media right now, in person, with one of the Remnant audience's absolute favorites and I don't know what number episode this is. Uh, Caleb is holding up six fingers, but since that's as high as Caleb can count, I'm not sure if that's an accurate answer or just a lot of times in Caleb talk. Regardless... Scott Linsicum of the Cato Institute, welcome back to the Dispatch. Well, thank uh, you for having me Uh, back. Sorry, welcome back to the Remnant. I should get my own podcast name right.
0: Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. Uh, Great to be back. I actually thought it was my seventh time, but I've lost count. Which I think there needs to be some sort of award for for losing count as well when you when you've been on enough that you just. It's like your anniversary, right? My my wife doesn't listen to this, no offense. So I can say that. <laughs> Does
1: she check your Twitter feed? Because people are gonna point this out in your Twitter feed now. Occasionally. Sure. <laughs> um uh I remember years ago when I was first got on Twitter, I uh was tweeting something and and then all of a sudden I hear my wife in the kitchen going, Jonah. And I literally <laughs> tweeted, abort, abort, wife checking Twitter three feed and didn't go back on for a while. Um, we,
0: we definitely have some uh some unwritten ground rules about how often uh, we check each other's Twitter and uh but but it's not like my mom, which I say, mom, please, just never. Just Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, my um my wife is a lurker. She does not tweet. She's like A.B. Stoddard. She does not tweet, oh, okay. but she is on Twitter a lot. Like John Podoritz. Yeah. Who I never thought could maintain the discipline of actually not tweeting for like, it's been like two years. Yeah. yeah.
0: because Because
1: he, he's like, um he's like, I don't know, like, like, you know, the, the weird psychopath who sits in the back of like a Cato open to the public talk. Who can't wait for the Q&A period. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and the free sandwiches.
1: Yeah. Pod's a little like that on Twitter, or at least he was. But he's, he's, he's controlled himself. And now I'm going to hear from him for saying all these things. Okay, so it's been a long time since we yeah. talked to uh, the Internet's favorite globalist. Um, but let's start sort of here at home. Uh, the other day, Jen Psaki, uh, White House press secretary, said that... Um, Republicans sometimes say that if you raise taxes on businesses, businesses will just go and pass those costs on to the public or consumers. And she said that she thought that was unfair and absurd. So up front, which adjective do you think is more incorrect? Unfair? Or absurd. <laughs> oh boy, is that, that's tough. <laughs> it is. What's um, a social justice kind of question? <laughs> I think unfair because uh-huh. um,
0: absurd. You could. There might be a, a judgment thing in there. Right. Uh, unfair is just classic, like you said. It's just kind of social justicey. Um, could mean anything, right? right. So I, I, I've always said, you know, fair is a four-letter word that begins with F. People get fared all the time. Um, and and so that's, you know, I, I definitely, I got to go with that. But yeah. remember also, my other favorite part, is she also said, and I don't think the American people will stand for that. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Which is just, you know, as we'll get into, crazy talk. Right. Okay, so, so there was, I tweeted something, uh, argumentum ad hyperbole or whatever yeah. the right word is about a a scenario and of course everyone wanted to argue about why my illustration of why this was a dumb thing to say was the real problem and not what she said. Right. Right. And I wouldn't take the bait from most of these people, but so like, where do we stand on this? It it is, it is, it is not true that when you raise taxes on businesses, the total cost is always passed through in consumer prices. What is, if you were trying to explain to your class, um, uh, why her statement is wrong just walk us through it.
0: Right. Um so and I will I have to give a little shout out to my newsletter for the the dispatch capitalism. I did a long primer on corporate taxes last year and it's in there too for for those I will put it in the show
1: notes. We'll put links. it in the show notes. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Perfect. See I'm see I'm I'm like old hat now. That's I even right. know it say we'll put it in the show notes. It's great. Anyway, So iron law of economics and accounting, corporations have really, there's three things they can do in the face of of higher taxes. They can uh, pass them on to consumers, they can pass them on to workers, or they can pass them on to shareholders. Very legitimate, very nerdy economic debate about where that balance is. Mm -hmm. There was a great working paper out uh, a year ago that said actually the models used by like the CBO and the others that only split between workers and shareholders are, are wrong. You have to consider consumers too. And they found looking at gobs of data like nerds do, that it's about a third each, that mm-hmm. corporations in the face of higher corporate taxes, they they pass on some to shareholders. So through lower share prices, lower dividends, whatever, um, they pass on some to workers through typically through slower wage growth. Right. Right. So they're not going to just go to Bob and say, hey, Bob uh, Joe Biden just raised our taxes. You're, you're getting a pay cut. No, what they do is that that just slows wage growth over time. Or your
1: bonus is going to be smaller next year. And,
0: and so this is the type of stuff that, again, it, it takes reams of Excel files and all these fun things to, to, to show, but they say, okay, look, there's going to be slower wage growth or a little slower hiring. Overall, you're going to be the, the workers share of that is going to be lower. And then the last is they pass it on to consumers, right? And it just totally depends on the type of industry, the the economic environment, all these types of things, also the right? kind of
1: corporation, right?
0: Right, right, yeah. And so, and and none of that is unfair or absurd. And and um, actually, Peter Suderman over at Reason just had a fantastic column on this. Um, that it's basically just like gravity, as he right. put it. It's just it is, and right. so and this gets to I think my one of my just really one of the big problems i have with the political discourse on corporate taxes corporations don't pay taxes and this is me doing the kind of clapping twitter thing now because <laughs> the the fact is they 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 a corporation is just a legal entity right and right. in fact because corporate taxes were so high in the united states for so long um our statutory rate at least uh, a lot of businesses didn't actually become classic corporations they became S corps or pass-throughs or LLCs, all this other kind of stuff to avoid our onerous corporate tax system. So, but at the end of the day, corporations, the legal entity, they—they're just a—it's uh, on paper, and right. at, they're gonna have to figure out a way to handle these new costs, and it's just gonna depend.
1: So, I've, what I—one of the things that drives me a little batty about this is. A lot of people on the left, I haven't heard it in a while, but there used to be a big thing where like you'd even get at sort of uh, Occupy Wall Street kind of crowds, people chanting, corporations aren't people, right? Remember there's that whole fight with Mitt, right. Romney, Mitt Romney, versus Romney. corporations are people. But he was talking about how they're made up of people. And so when you tax it, it's making the point that you just made yeah. basically, right? Poorly and the thing is, in typical Mitt fashion. Yeah, yeah. But his heart was in the right place. <laughs> and um, and the, the you know, he, he, he speaks he spoke conservatism like it was a second language but he tried right right and um um but you know the whole concept of corporate personhood bothers a lot of serious people on the left and all this kind of thing and the thing that drives me crazy about all this is they're the ones who say corporations aren't people and yet they're the ones who also anthropomorphize corporations all the time right greedy corporations as as if the corporation is a Person with human
0: feelings. It's a great point, and it and this is something that every once in a while, when I get worked up on Twitter, I I say, you know, the the idea, particularly on the left, but look, it's seeping into the populist right too. When you Absolutely. talk about yeah. share buybacks and all this stuff, again, it's it's as if corporations are a person person that can um, take profits and then like go to Cancun and and just blow it on hookers and blow. Right. Right. And it's just not that's just not right. They're going to figure out what is the proper way to deal with this new cost and how can we maintain our Return on investment and our profitability and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, as I think you pointed out on Twitter, sometimes it's gonna be they're gonna pass on that to consumers. Right. Um and it's weird, I think, that we can't have a reasonable conversation and instead you get unfair and absurd that that gravity exists.
1: Yeah, and I, but also I mean what's also just strange to me about this is that forget businesses. Just this is the way institutions work, yeah. right? So like Jen Psaki, I, I think she's got little kids. You know, she seems like a nice lady. You know, I disagree with her a lot these days. But if we raise her taxes, the amount of money that she will spend right. on her kids or on clothes or whatever will be affected by that because the amount of money that she has will be uh, lessened, right? right. And, and like, I, I just this there's this magical thinking thing that just simply says it's it's less sometimes that it's like corporations are people and it's more like they're like hydra you know (laughs) like this sinister organization that does things yeah Out of its own interests and because but when they do it, doing things in your own interest is evil and it just it's weird.
0: Well, and except then they're the good corporations that make um, solar panels or electric vehicles with unionized labor. And then those are the ones that we want to subsidize. Right. Right. right? Um, And those are the ones that they're going to get massive tax breaks. And so that's the other thing that, right. that that is is kind of nutty about this. They do recognize incentives. They do recognize corporate decision making and the rest when they are handing out cash. Yeah. Um, but when you impose a cost, no, all of a sudden it's it's back to the magical thinking.
1: I remember um, Steve Hayward pointed out to me this was like fifteen years ago. New York Times did this big profile of Google and its wind farms on its campus and all these kinds of things and what a progressive green company it was and it sees that this is the future and all and then you had to get to like the 37th paragraph where it says the the alternative energy generation on their campus um is purely for the tax write-off and, you know they yeah. get couched and all this right. kind of stuff so i mean it's like you're buying pr from corporations and from the government sort of simultaneously both ways with yep. a lot of these things um okay are you on, what team are you on when it comes to inflation? Are you on Team Transitory or are you on, what, what, what do they call the other one? Uh, I don't know.
0: That's a good question. I only know of Team Transitory. The other side is, I guess, Team Inflation.
1: I guess so. That's right, right.
0: Um, I am firmly in the middle. I know that's uh, not fair. I apologize to the audience. But my view is that um, I I think that there are real concerns But um, I don't think that we know yet. Right. Um, And that's the problem. I think here's what we do know. We know that the term transitory no longer means transitory, right? So originally, Team Transitory, including the folks at the Fed, figured that we would be seeing higher prices and CPI spikes and all these kind of crazy things for a few months, right? So it's going to be over in the summer. Two, three months, maybe a little more. Now... Uh, or actually, then it, uh, it Transitory became, okay, December end of the year. Now we're hearing, well, no, Transitory might even be middle of next year and going. So at some point, right, Transitory isn't Transitory anymore. Um, I do think Team Transitory, on the other hand, has a very strong point that a lot of the price spikes we're seeing are in things that are either very volatile, food and energy and that kind of stuff, that always go nuts. Um, And I know food prices matter out there. I know energy prices matter. But in kind of straight economics, inflationary sense, they're treated a little differently because they are so volatile. Um, And then but the other things like used cars and these are things that um, that are going to settle down. So I do think Team Transitory has a point there. The problem, I think, that Team Transitory has is that we're still waiting for the shoe to drop. On a few things. So, Mm -hmm. some things that have been subdued so far are first, rents. So, for some reason, rents have stayed really muted. Well, now we're starting to at least see uh, anecdotal evidence of rents starting to go up a lot, which is what they should do because housing prices have gone up. Mm -hmm. Rents tend to lag housing prices. So, that's one. The other big one is where there might be a pass through of producer prices and labor prices. So we're seeing a little of... The, so again, businesses are not... They don't have a magic money tree when they're faced with higher cost, whether it's taxes or inputs, labor, materials, whatever. They, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Oftentimes, they raise prices. Well, we've seen some of that so far, but not a lot. So that's the other big shoe that we're waiting to see. Do producer prices... And do the higher cost of labor, because wages have been up, is that going to push prices higher? Are we going to start seeing that in the data? And we're not, we're seeing it in some places like fast food and not. So it. it I don't think, I think that it's at this point, it's still totally fine to, to say we don't know yet, but it, the, the very dovish, oh, it's just fine Is is crazy talk. Um, Powell, whom I, I mean, I tend to trust Jerome Powell. These are very smart people. They have a lot of data looking at it. He still is very confident that this is all going to work itself out. Um, but I have been very uh, pleased to see that even folks on Team Transitory, some, some, you know, in the partisan debate, mm-hmm. always a lot of people who will never admit fault, um, but some who are starting to say, well, look, you know, if these supply chain problems persist, if we continue to have backups at the ports. If, you know, now China and other uh, places are having an energy, China's having like a legit energy crisis, that's translating to higher prices of Chinese materials. If import prices start spiking, um, there are things in the system that that could cause these uh, pressures to be more persistent, these price pressures to be more persistent. And so I don't, I think that there still is a concern out there that, that these things are going to um, uh, cause problems next year. If they do, well, then what does the Fed have to do? The Fed has to react and slam on the brakes. And that's where I think we could have some problems. But I don't, I mean, again, Powell remains quite confident that we're not there.
1: Yeah, so I was waiting for you to say the word supply chain. I mean, that was like- Yeah, almost, sorry. Because you're like, like literally my supply chain guy. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, but, what? I so again, listeners of this podcast know I don't do monetary policy. I got friends on both sides of it. So I'm sort of in the middle too. Yeah. Um. But the one point that I always make to team transitory people, which include, uh, Ramesh Panuru and, and Dave Bonson and other good friends of mine and guests on the podcast is, um, that you can get inflation. The inflation could be transitory, but because if enough people think it's not transitory, that can create inflation, right? Because then you change expectations. People start hoarding, buying up things, all these kinds of stuff. And, What's interesting to me is that all my life, uh, whenever we talked about inflation, it was always an argument about too many loose dollars floating around doing stuff. And that doesn't seem to be part of anybody's conversation anymore. Yeah.
0: yeah and, and I do think there is, and I should say, you know, um, there certainly is a fiscal policy aspect of this too. Um, there's a lot of cash sloshing around the system looking for a home. Um, And I think that that's, we're seeing this maybe in the rents we just talked about. So when you have a bunch of uh, Gen Zers, what are we, Xennials? What do we call them? Zoomers? Damn kids. Yeah. So anyway, they all moved back home with their, we used to call them millennials, but we can't do that anymore because millennials are now like 40.
1: Right. And they have kids. This is very,
0: this (laughs) is really hard as an aging person. It's hard for me to keep up with what we call the youths.
1: Well, you know, part part of the problem is Doug Copeland screwed us all because- he began the alphabetical naming of generations with X. There's just not a lot of letters left, right? Yeah, that's right? I mean, really...
0: Should have started with A or... Yeah. Or, or we. I guess we can't do Greek anymore because now that's all... It's a virus thing.
1: Right. It's tough. Um,
0: and sorry. I think
1: Cambodian has the largest alphabet. So, like, if we'd switch to that, we could, like, just keep going. It'd be perfect. But yeah, perfect. Yeah.
0: So, sorry for the digression. Uh, so... um if you look at the money sloshing around the system and if you look at rents as a great example, so you had a bunch of Zoomers who moved home with their parents and but a, got checks. I mean, a lot of checks. Right. And those folks are now going to be moving out and they're going to be chasing, again, um, a restricted supply of housing uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, and that's going to put upward pressure on rents. And so there is, I think, again, this this these dollars chasing now you talked about supply chains that's the other thing that that team transitory didn't think about there was a belief on team transitory again not unfounded that ever that supply chains would adapt and look i'm the king of supply chains adapting right Right. supply chains though in the middle of a pandemic makes it a lot harder to adapt because you tend to have isolated events and different policy regimes doing different things. Of course, you have a bunch of ships and planes and the rest. Um, and you have, uh, again, all this fiscal policy and stuff putting pressures. Um, and you also have
1: a uh, Huge labor of, force Right, labor force
0: yeah. dynamics. Like, There's a lot of sand in the gears of people maybe switching jobs. Just a lot of friction that makes it difficult for the transition for supply to respond to demand, right? So- so that is the other thing we're running into a lot more than we thought. Um again, I tend to think team transitory has the stronger of it if only because the Fed does have uh, more than the expectations. The Fed does have the ability to to correct mm-hmm. this. Um it just it's hard to tell where it's going to end up.
1: So um Oh, let me
0: add one thing. I do think, however, and I'm on team humility through all this, and that's what actually is annoying. I think that it's it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to say that if you're the Fed. But for the rest of us, uh, it's totally fine to say, hey, these price pressures are a problem. This is an issue. Maybe the uh, $1.9 trillion we just spent was a little too big, a lot too big. Um, Maybe the Fed needs to stop buying all the bonds a little sooner, this quantitative easing. Um, But maybe we don't all freak out and claim we're Zimbabwe, right? Right. It's okay. And we don't have uh, a lot of that outside, I think, of the economics profession. It's like everybody is just, it's all screaming.
1: So, I mean, we sort of backed into the supply chain thing and, you know, and you were here as King supply chain. Right, sorry. uh, First of his name. And... um, so, but for let's put it this way: Why for the for the lay listener who maybe just tuned in, right? And so didn't hear how we backed into it. Why are people right, or are people right or wrong to tell them that you better start buying your Christmas presents now, or uh, you're going to have to give your kids a, a generous donation in their name to the Human Fund? Right. Right. I mean, are they going to be able to buy presents for their kids?
0: It seems so, so far, it seems okay. And I say that as a dad who, uh, having read a lot of articles like that, went on Amazon (laughs) to check to see uh, if the bike that he's, that Santa is bringing my daughter, nobody tell her, okay?
1: (laughs) She still believes in Santa. Um, We never had that talk with my daughter. Really? And she will not tolerate she leaves the room when people talk about how Santa's not real. Wow. And she's in first year of college. Awesome. Good for her. Good for her. I, mean, I think she knows the truth. She just doesn't want she doesn't want to grow up, so she doesn't want to acknowledge.
0: That's great. That's yeah. like that's like a Disney movie right there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um the <laughs> the geriatric who still believes in Santa <laughs> coming soon on Disney Plus. Um, so so gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. Um so
1: bike presence. It does it chain. right.
0: Yeah. it seems to have plenty of inventories right now. Um, I do trust the retailers a bit that they're seeing problems down the road. They can't apparently get the stock they need, but they're also stocking early. And mm-hmm. I do think there's a little bit of strategic yeah, yeah. Uh, retailer gaming going on yeah. here where they want to get people in stores earlier because they don't want to have empty shelves um, and they don't want people to be upset that Target didn't have the, whatever is the hot Tickle Me Elmo thing this year. Um, for those of you who are young listening, Tickle Me Elmo was like a really popular toy a long
1: time ago. It really was. In fact, the original line in Scarface was, first you get the power, then you get the money, then you get the women, then, then you, you get the Tickle Me Elmo. Yes, that's yeah, right. It that right. was a big deal. I we mean,
0: actually need um, uh, a show notes boomer translation <laughs> section that just says, let mentioned Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> That was important in 1996 because. Though, in
1: fairness, we are not boomers. Right, we are we are Gen X. We I, are we are the truly forgotten generation. True. We're the best generation. We are the last generation to grow up with a common culture, but we were young enough to understand the newfangled computers. Yeah, and I will. Say
0: and that. we we lucked out to have both the Simpsons and Seinfeld, the right. two greatest cultural reference shows of all time in our prime television That's vegetation right. period.
1: That's right. That's right. If you were nursing a hangover or hanging out at home, you're just you in Gen X era you're just perfectly situated. Also, we didn't we are too young to want to have seen Star Trek on primetime. Yeah. But we walked right into the teeth of the endless reruns, reruns. of it, which yeah. was useful. Plus, like I don't know but I mean I think I'm a little older than you, but like I grew up why, there were lots of black and white TV shows that I yeah. watched. Like like The Rifleman. <laughs> the Rifleman. Um uh I Love Lucy, you know. I mean it was a great yeah, show. Yeah. You know, it was like the honeymooners. I watched a lot of yeah. I mean, that was more of a New York thing. I don't know if that was true everywhere. Yeah, around. so
0: we had we also had the kind of old school humor too. I mean, well, it was just best generation. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I digress. So supply chains, uh retailers I think are are gaming this a bit. Um but uh let's face it, there are really legitimate issues with supply chains right now. And it is, I would say, I mean, you know, half or more pandemic related, right? Mm. So you have economies opening and closing at different speeds. You have People who were stuck inside, not spending any money or buying only certain things. Right. Radically
1: changed consumer behavior exactly. on the upside and on the downside.
0: Right. Yeah. All of a sudden being freed, you have, uh, we talked about labor mismatch issues. You know, people who used to work at a restaurant, either that restaurant's closed or they don't want to work in a restaurant anymore, um, but but they haven't decided they're going to go work for Amazon yet, right? They're still, or So there's a lot of that. And it's particularly an issue in like trucking and some of these other professions that are, let's face it, hard living. You need to get training and all that kind of stuff. So
1: isn't Britain like importing thousands of... Truck drivers, yeah, yeah,
0: because right, uh, because they don't, they they couldn't get um, fuel. I think they call it petrol over yeah, yeah, there. I yeah. was going to say petrol, yeah, but that's eat. that's just ridiculous. And they eat gas, marmite, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gas. They, they all trucks can't... lorries. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> yeah, it, very <laughs> weird. Anyway, they so so there's a lot of that that truly is pandemic related. Uh-huh. But um, and now I you can see I actually put on my libertarian hat here mm-hmm. for a second. There's also a lot of policy driven sand in the gears too. Um, so I wrote, you know, a column a couple of weeks ago now, last week, I can't remember, about the ports. Right. So we have all these ships that can't even find anchoring spots off the coast of L.A., Um, 70 something ships just kind of floating out in the Pacific ocean, um, which I'm sure all the NIMBYs out there, by the way, love that their beautiful coastal views are now.
1: No, I was, we were in Newport beach in part to drop off my kid at school. Um, and it looked like there was just a retaining wall on the horizon of the ocean because there's just so many ships. It's crazy, crazy.
0: So, so. Uh, there's all these ships backed up. That is actually, so because LA Long Beach port is so important for US and global trade, uh, it's now having uh, ripple effects all throughout the United States. So now ports in Savannah are backed up, New York, New Jersey, uh, Houston, all these places, right? So, So, yeah, again, supply chain stuff, that's happening, it's real. But, so... If you look at the history of our port system, you find out that there are two big unions, the ILWU on the west coast, the ILA on the east coast. And these guys, because they control port traffic, have immense leverage. And of course they have protection by, from the federal government mm-hmm. and state governments as well. So what have they done? Well, in their labor contracts, they've they've p- negotiated, first of all, just insanely high wages. Uh, you have guys washing trucks making 200 grand a year. Um, and very restrictive work schedules, so very uh, dogmatic shifts, very you know, very regimented stuff that they can't. There's little flexibility. If you hire somebody for a pay for the weekend, you got to pay overtime. It's crazy, right? So, but also the craziest part I think is that they have vigorously resisted automation mm-hmm. at courts. So. The United States has some of the slowest and least efficient ports in the world. So there's this big global ranking last year where the LA Long Beach was like 335th out of 360 ports. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this is a lot of the Asian ports, Japan, Japan, Yokohama was number one. So these, all these top ranked ports have automated because it's 2021 and you don't need tons of longshoremen like it's the wire, right? I mean you you can you have robots, you have computers, you have motor, you know, all these cranes that can move this stuff far more efficiently. So we have very inefficient ports, very expensive ports. So that's the first big thing. You also then look at the Jones Act, good old Jones Act. Have to I have knew to, we I mean, coming I'm out. obligated by yeah, law, I think, to right. raise the Jones Act every podcast. But so the Jones Act affects uh shipping in a couple of ways. One, you we have almost no Coastwise shipping, meaning you, we have almost no shipping from, say, the port of Houston to, the, to Boston because uh, the Jones Act makes that ridiculously expensive because uh, you have to use American ships that are crewed by Americans and all this stuff. American ships are insanely expensive because of protectionism. Yay. And so we have no coastwise shipping. And instead, foreign ships do port hopping. So they go to one port, they drop off, they say, again, let's say Boston, they drop off a little bit, then they go down to Savannah and they drop off a little bit and they can't pick up any, any cargo while they're there. So they're like half empty, massive ships floating around. The other thing the Jones Act does is it adds pressure on inland freight because since it's so expensive to to ship from Savannah to Boston or whatever um, on the water, which water is the easiest and most efficient way to do these things, um, it, it we use trucks and trains and that kind of stuff. Well, trucks and trains and pipelines and all that's great for transcontinental right. shipping, and th- we have an interstate system, great. Okay, um, but it's idiotic for doing something up the the coast, mm. right? It just makes no sense. But the Jones Act. Uh, forces that. So then the last thing is we have, this is, it's incredible. We have now put tariffs on chassis. So trucks need chassis to haul containers, um, intermodal containers, the big boxes come off the ships. They get put onto a truck, the truck on the truck's chassis, the truck then links up drives off, right? Very efficient. Well, the problem is we put 200% tariffs on chassis from China. Uh China of course very bad. Whatever. Well, China's also the largest supplier of chassis. And we we th- applied the tariffs in the middle of a shipping crisis. Right. So, and US law does not allow the Commerce Department to even consider any of these things. we just so now there's a chassis shortage as well. So, if you look at that and then and that's just that's just the ports. There's plenty of other things. You could talk about the steel and aluminum tariffs that Trump steel and aluminum tariffs that Biden hasn't removed. Um, There's all this policy driven sand in the gears that is making things even harder. And we can certainly talk about uh Fed, you know, the stimulus payments and the unemployment benefits and all this stuff that just kind of gums stuff up. Well, when you have pandemic Driven supply demand challenges, and then you throw a bunch of again sand in the gears intentionally. Well, that's, that's what you're gonna get.
1: So it's funny you brought up The Wire because I was gonna bring up The Wire in part because my wife and I have been re watching it. Oh, yeah. We just, when Michael K. Williams died, we're like, you know, let's, I haven't watched it in years. My, I don't think my wife would watch it since it first came out. And so every now and then I have to say, yeah, yeah look away because like the dog fighting scene, she does not yeah. want to, that kind of thing. But, um, uh, in the second season, you know, as you mentioned, alluded to, it mostly focuses on the dock workers at the port, port of Baltimore. It's very sad. Right. Because they're going the way of the dodo. And, um but there's this scene where they're actually given a presentation of the port in Holland with the robots and all this kind of stuff and the head of the. Union watches it like he was watching. You know, remember, remember Faces of Death. If we're yeah, gonna go, yeah. you know, he's, like, he's like, "That is a horror show." You know, blah 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 blah. And you know, look, I mean, I get it is normal human nature for for people to want to protect yeah. their way of life, their way of doing things, and to get as richly rewarded as they can get away with. And so, I don't. It's not that I blame the union members for wanting to keep the good times going. Yeah, but it, it's just a—it's a such a glaring policy error. This idea that this is a traditional lifestyle that needs to stay this way forever, and
0: well, and and the the really—and and I totally agree with you. I mean, people are self-interested, corporations are self—you yeah, know—not I mean,
1: we, we believe public choice theory. Soup to nuts. Yeah, right? <laughs> right, right.
0: All across the board. It's not yeah. just politicians who are right. self-interested. Everybody's going to look out for, for number one uh, a lot of the time. No problem. The problem is when they start uh, going out and trying to dictate uh, alternatives right. and or prevent alternatives. Um, and in the process, uh, get the government to put thumb on right. scale, right? So a great example of going staying at the ports and with these unions is that so the Port of Savannah, several of the right-to-work states, southern states, they supplement port labor with non-unionized, but still state employees. So it's not mm-hmm. like these are just, you know, it's not scabs or right. whatever, right? We're not
1: going down to the parking lot of the Home Depot. Right. Getting got I mean,
0: trust. these are... so. Uh, the union, So they built the first new port terminal built in the United States in since 2009. Oh, and I should mention, the Jones Act also makes dredging cost prohibitive. So mm-hmm. that's why we don't build new and deeper ports, another idiotic thing. So anyway, but the first major port expansion since 2009 in Savannah, Savannah's port operations, which I think are state run, they said, well, look, this actually is not part of the union contract. The construction was underway, so we're going to use this non-unionized labor that's you know cheaper, more flexible than the rest, right. right? So the unions filed a lawsuit against the first ship that arrived at the port and used non-used the non-union labor. Now they 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 did it though to time it. So that by the time it actually gets to the NLRB, which, of course, regulates union labor, it'll be Biden's union, Biden's NLRB. So they're they're gaming the system again to make sure that they get favorable political treatment, which, again, is not this is not them just, you know, this is not just a contract. This is now really actively trying to thwart uh, an alternative, a private Right, non-union
1: alternative. Well, so I mean, like, since you always have to bring up the Jones Act, it's, right? Sorry, you know, no, it's, it's fine. It's I, I, I you know, as, it's in but, the contract. As as the as the scorpion said to the frog, you knew who I was <laughs> when we started this. You know, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up the Jones Act. That said, uh, whenever these kinds of conversations come up, I always have to point out that Adam Smith identified this problem in the Wealth of Nations, mm-hmm. and the left always likes to quote the part where he says, and I'm. Paraphrasing, yeah. rarely will two people of the same trade or vocation meet in a pub or an alehouse without quickly cons- uh, forming a conspiracy against the public good. Right. Which we both agree with to a certain extent, right? Yeah. He said, but what people ignore is that he says, that's unavoidable. That's human nature. You get two plumbers, and they're the only two plumbers in town, and they're going to meet at a bar. They're going to have a conversation right. about why are we competing with each other, lowering our prices? Let's set a floor. Right. That we can both live with and we'll work out our schedules and that way we can both go golfing, right? That's what plumbers do. Yeah. Or that's what people do. I shouldn't say plumbers, right? Smith says, it's since that's unavoidable, the only thing that we have to be careful about is not having the state come in and ratify and sanction right. that. Because then you're using state power to basically elevate what the founders would call a faction, right? And because it's it's not, I mean, a faction in the old day, when the Federalist Papers were being written, it just wasn't like these Presbyterians or those Lutherans. It was also like cotton farmers or whatever. And you don't want the government ratifying one faction over other factions. And the problem with a lot of the union stuff is that I get that they're exerting their labor power and all that kind of stuff, but the state is coming in and basically turning them into constituent clients using them as ATMs and everybody is paying well, that, that's the unfair thing right? It's right like everybody's paying out of their pockets gensaki yeah, might even call it unfair
0: and absurd <laughs> well and and when you have ports or airports um you know the old reagan and the air traffic controllers strike and that kind of and um, there there's inevitably going to have to be some sort of state role there there it's just that's just how it is, right? right? As much like as libertarian as I am, you're not going out and establishing your own port anytime right. soon, right? Right. right.
1: And um, so there. Are, that's why Peter Thiel's got to hurry up with those islands. <laughs>
0: we really do my <laughs> seastead of win, um, but so as long as and, and you as you're going to have a state role, you what you want is a neutral state role, right? Right. And that's where again you get into where where the state is putting the thumb on the scale in favor of the unions, forcing unionization, not allowing for non-unionized alternatives, whatever. Um, and per- again particularly in something like port automation where I mean, if you look if you Google the articles on this, it's it's comically depressing yeah um, how much they're anti-robot and and how much they cheer when there's a new contract, they will, go on strike to prevent any sort of automation language they cheer the fact that their contracts have this anti no automation anyway um yeah so when you have the state uh thumbing the scale it's it's that's where the the problem arises and and you know the funny thing you mentioned the jones act and adam smith you know adam smith was uh that he's also cited as being uh, okay with the jones act right that uh maritime protectionism uh-huh so Uh, When you talk to Jones Act supporters, they'll say, ah, but Adam Smith, even Adam Smith, Mm -hmm. uh, supported uh, maritime protectionism, um, cabotage laws, and this Uh kind of stuff. Um, But what they don't mention is that he did it in the context of an actual war situation, right? He he was embracing or endorsing, whatever, condoning that in a very limited context, which of course isn't what's going on here. This is a law that's peacetime, wartime, whatever. 100 years of practice, we've seen what has happened, and yet, let's face it, those political influences are tough to beat.
1: So, all right, let's switch gears. You mentioned Biden, and you mentioned him keeping Trump's terror stuff. Uh, So first, informationally, is there anything from Trump's protectionist Uh, platform that are are any of the protections measures that Trump implemented, has Biden removed any of them?
0: Removed?
1: No, none, none.
0: Temporarily suspended. Yes. Uh, Boeing Airbus. It's a very minor, relatively minor in the grand scheme of things. So the the World Trade Organization has had a dispute going on for well over a decade now on civil aircraft subsidies. We subsidize Boeing, Uh, Europe, particularly France, subsidizes Airbus, and then we file litigation against each other. Both sides lost. Uh. So then what do you do? Well, then instead of actually removing the subsidies, heaven forbid, we impose tariffs on each other's products. Now, this is a more lawful process than than a lot of the other tariffs we we talk about. Um, But nevertheless, tariffs stink. Um, they hurt things like uh Scotch imports mm-hmm, uh, and the tell rest. Me about of, it. Right. And so Biden and the European Union agreed to a ceasefire uh of several months. So he did, but they're suspended. They're not removed. So I when we're I'm gonna be a lawyery about it, they've been just suspended for a little bit. They could be brought back. Sure. So other than that, though, steel tariffs still there, aluminum tariffs still there, uh the China stuff still there. Uh, The washing machine tariffs and the solar tariffs still there. No changes to the underlying laws and regulations. And in fact,
1: some of the Buy American stuff is tougher. Oh, yeah,
0: that was going to say. So it's actually gotten worse. Um, They've tightened Buy American rules. They've um, they've uh, pushed for tons of new restrictions in whether it's the BIF or the reconciliation package and stuff. So these guys are not undoing. Trumpian protectionism yet. Now, apparently, I mean, there's, as we record, the Europeans and the Americans are in Pittsburgh negotiating on stuff, and apparently they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of the steel tariffs. Um, So there's maybe something coming there, but there hasn't been a wholesale change. Now, I would, once again, remind the listeners that I wrote a piece for the dispatch like a year ago, basically saying this, right? Right that we should not expect a lot of grand changes. And in fact, the only place I saw the potential for improvement was tariffs, steel tariffs for close allies like Europe. So, um, you know, I'll I'll pat myself on the back a little bit there. Um, But uh, I got to say, it's been really disappointing overall um, that they just, it is as the rhetoric and the rest is, is not much different.
1: So all right, so beyond the informational thing. Now, so the you and I, you know, from different perspectives, different career paths, whatever, but we were among those people on the right of center universe, right? I mean, you're much more libertarian, yeah. Cato and all that stuff, but that's fine.
0: Yeah, I'm high right now.
1: During the Trump era, we enjoyed a certain amount of strange new respect from left of center people because yeah. we didn't get on the bandwagon or the trump train right yeah, yeah. so and one of the things that I found really really depressing during that era not about left or right but about human nature was the degree to which all of a sudden free trade became very popular oh, yeah. among liberals because Trump was against it right? right 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 and the this tendency I mean the same thing happened you know like with gay, marriage, all sorts of things under Obama. The second he said he was for something huge switch switches in or shifts in, in yeah. public opinion on things. And it's not like on the trade stuff, you know, you talked about, I remember having Ben Sass on here early in the Trump administration and he was saying how his was the most pro free trade state in the country, you know, because they sell soybeans and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Trump says it's bad. And even though it's crushes the you know the farmers in nebraska um public opinion switches like two to one the other way yeah yeah. all based upon you know sort of cult of personality fashion kind of stuff so and it's not like any of those guys suddenly started boning up on their ricardo and their smith (laughs) or any of that right it's just like they just switch all of a sudden friedrich list is at the top of the amazon you know web pages uh bestseller ranks. So of, of the fair weather free traders that you had met in the Trump era, are any of them still free trade yeah. now that it's Biden? I mean, did they switch because of the Trump and then they realized the arguments are right and they stayed there? I mean, have you run into much of that? Uh, well, I will say this.
0: I the, the, the lefties that I befriended during the Trump era remain pro-trade. Uh-huh. Um, they don't, however... I don't see as much criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think the difference. So, um, to the credit, but these now let's face it, these are mostly neoliberal, Clintonian Dems, right, right, right. and so these are folks that I think were
1: were pro trade before. Um, Even Obama said some very good things about yeah, trade. Yeah, I don't know what he did about well, it. Well, but- he
0: stunk in his first term. He campaigned as a nationalist in his for running for second term, and then he got a little bit better in the last couple of years. So, yeah. you know, he was pushing Trans-Pacific Partnership, but at the end. So it was basically six years of bad and then kind of this mad day dash to kind of not be bad at the end. And he failed because he waited too long um but anyway back to back to my friends uh now so I, certainly my phone doesn't ring anymore for quotes mm-hmm. bashing biden's trade policy yeah 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 that said i think that there i think that most of the folks that that woke up during the trump years about you know trade globalization tariffs and all that kind of stuff still are pretty much there but here's what they do they just go ugh biden that stinks but then they go back to supporting Biden, right? Right, 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 right. Um, and and that's I think you know the broader political calculus, right? right. And I, and Biden, I think the Biden administration actually really gets this. Unfortunately, that and this is this is public choice 101, right? The squeaky wheel in the Democratic Party when it comes to trade or unions, mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent, environmental lobby, right? So they know that they can be protectionist; they can keep or win those to, that squeaky wheel vote. And that the rest of the party is just going to go, oh, that stinks, but not
1: care. Not care. Yeah.
0: And so this is classic stuff where, you know, they they pick uh, the, the group getting the concentrated benefits right. and they they cater to them. And especially given the geriatric nature of Democratic leadership, which is very much uh, in in bed with kind of old school labor union stuff. I mean, these are, you know. 90s, 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And before, very much kind of Dick Kebhart Hart. Yeah. Democrats, right? Yeah. They are not going to discard that. And there's also a certain amount of muscle memory. I mean, I don't think Joe Biden could not be, you know, pro-union, pro-American uh, right. Rust Belt, all that stuff. and Joe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he that's, that's him. He's been doing that shtick for 40 years. There's no way he's becoming globalist Joe all of a sudden. And so um, that's just the reality of things. Now, I will give you the positive side, I think, For trade, and there's not a lot of positive right now, is that outside of Washington, so outside of the kind of beltway uh, leadership types that are depressingly anti-trade right now, the public opinion is pretty solid. Um, Now, of course, it took a hit when the economy crapped out, which it always does. But Democrats remained. uh, They still remain much more pro-trade now than they were during the Obama years. Um, And... Younger people also, which are, let's face it, they're voting more democratic. They are still also more pro-trade. Now, again, are they voting on it, though? I doubt it. Right? Um, is this, you know, are, is Biden going to lose votes because he's maintaining steel tariffs? And eh, maybe mine. That's about <laughs> it, right? Uh, I mean, there's not going to be a lot. Uh, and so, so I think that's the real tough point we're at right now.
1: So... Um I would argue that on the geopolitical scale, the most underrated screw up of the Trump administration was pulling out of TPP, right? And um,
0: I'm going to write a column on this, by the way.
1: Okay. so uh, just so listeners know uh, where I'm coming from, it is not clear to me that Trump even understood that China wasn't part of TPP and that, in fact, TPP was an effort to uh basically gang up on China by working with regional trading partners of China and be a counterweight right. to China and uh Trump would just say oh it's a giveaway to China when exactly when it was in fact designed not to be yeah now i i've been reading that China kind of wants into TPP yeah um so two questions one Biden was pro TPP when he was the vice president of the United States right it was his administration with Barack Obama that did it Why doesn't Biden want to... Is it it the same stuff that you just described for Biden about why he doesn't want to get get in it now? And two, what does it mean for America if China gets into TPP?
0: Yeah. So uh, let's start with the basics. So Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, a coalition of uh, more than a dozen nations, including the United States, as you said, intended at really two big uh, goals. First was to create a uh, non-China supply chain of sorts. So not only to liberalize trade with Vietnam and and the rest of these, several of these were already USFTA partners, by the way. So it was really only like six new nations. Vietnam, Malaysia were big ones. New Zealand was in there. Um, But to create this non-China supply chain, to provide... uh, Pe- countries in China's orbit in the Asia Pacific. So we have this thing called the gravity model of trade, which basically, put simply, is people that live next door to each other trade a lot together. Well, China being a huge country in Japan and Korea's backyard, they trade a lot. China, it's like the sun, right? It has right. a lot of gravitational pull. So the idea was to just kind of peel off some of that, give preferential access to a bunch of countries, create a platform for other countries to join in. Korea actually wasn't one of the TPP parties, but it always thought Korea would join their USFTA partner anyway. They'd get in. Thailand would come in, kind of create this happy thing. So non-China supply chain. Second thing was to create a set of rules that was explicitly, not explicitly, but uh implicitly i should say anti-china right so there were rules on industrial subsidies rules on state-owned enterprises um rules on intellectual property rights all these kind of things that china would be like yeah we're not doing right. that, right because their state capitalist model is incompatible so um it, geopolitically of course it made a ton of sense um for the, those two reasons right even if because the economics But given that some of these were already trading partners and all this, I mean, there was going to be economic benefits, but it was a more so a geopolitical thing. And yeah, and then Trump threw it all away because, yeah, he had no idea what he was. And Bannon thought it was this great thing, right? Globalist thing. Uh, And so um, the problem we have is that there are strong anti-trade groups that still oppose it and the biden administration it is that previous political dynamic they see that they they prioritize their domestic agenda they want to get build back better and all that stuff done and folks like sherrod brown are just going to not support yeah. the domestic agenda if there's any movement on the international any sort of trade liberalization stuff at all um there also were a few rules that um, some on the left didn't like, but let's face it, those could be ironed out. You can always go back to the drawing board a little bit. And But now, the the critical thing that I think people miss about Trump's withdrawal is now the United States can't it's going to be actually hard for the United States to get back in. Because now the United States needs the permission of all the other TPP countries. There's going to be this accession process and all this. Um, And that's going to be harder. Now, I think these countries still want the United States back, be willing to do it, but it's going to be harder. The other thing is, like you said, now other countries want in. Um, I don't think, however, that China's uh, overtures are are realistic. I think this is more of a troll, mm. uh, a very effective one, by the way, by by the CCP. So, I mean, they got
1: me asking about it on the Remnant, exactly. so I mean, clearly it's working.
0: So I then this goes back to those rules I talked about. So there is a whole list of rules in the TPP that were intentionally in there, again, to uh, make it uncomfortable for China and also the goal was to kind of what we call multilateralize bring everybody kind of into these rules adapt their domestic laws and stuff maybe eventually translate those into the WTO so China's in participation would be extremely difficult it would have to also go through this accession process i don't think it's quite i think it's don't think it's very realistic particularly not in the short term but like you said it got everybody's attention it got the white house's attention. Um, and so I hoping that the white house might be able to leverage that and, and say, well, we got it now. We got to get back. We got to, got to do it because yeah, it's an, it's an, it was just such an idiotic yeah. move, particularly because the United States expressly wants to get American supply chains less dependent on China. It's and it's not, and, and to the Biden administration's tiny credit, they're not as Trumpian when it comes to saying, well, we need to have everything onshore, we need to nationalize everything. Um, they're saying we need to just have it non Chinaized, right? Right. And TPP is a perfect avenue for that. And and I should note, it's actually the CPTPP now, but that's so cumbersome, I just refuse. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean Vietnam, Malaysia again, bringing in these other countries. Uh it makes sense to make it easier for that to happen, but you know, it's it's a, a tough political haul.
1: Um okay, we're we're running up on time here. Yeah. But um uh a couple things. One So I can't even remember at this point. I apologize cuz I got so caught up in trolling you about it that mm-hmm. I forgot now exactly how it resolved. Did they find the cobra in in Raleigh? They did. Okay. They did. And he was
0: on a porch just uh-huh. hanging out.
1: And it's very traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh for listeners that don't know, there was an escaped cobra, uh, not the Bronx Zoo Cobra, maybe a cousin, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And you have small kids and lots of grass and you did not like there being a famously venomous snake in in yeah. on the loose yeah
0: no no so and and raleigh north carolina in general has a venomous snake problem of sorts a uh-huh. natural one we don't right. need a, an un, an an artificial snake problem so we have a lot of copperheads uh-huh. a lot and where i live there's a lot of ivy there's a creek bed and you're very typical bucolic pine trees the rest um but so we already have to worry about where we step um in the summer peak copperhead season months, which is uh-huh. just ridiculous. It makes my skin crawl. Um, so then yeah, some idiot, uh, fortunately didn't live too close to me, decides he's gonna raise and handle he's an amateur, venomous snake handler and does like TikTok videos. So this and you know, some knucklehead and he let the cobra escape.
1: Such an obvious candidate for a Darwin award.
0: Yes. You know? <laughs> let the cobra accident accidentally let the cobra escape. And it terrorized his neighborhood for days. And so yeah, I'm very much anti-cobra. Mm. Um, I'm look, I, I don't uh, send the letters to the remnant. I don't care. <laughs> um, I am anti-cobra. And yeah, I I was pretty ticked. But you know, it was funny. We've had this uh this real flourish of of animal uprisings. We had them all over Raleigh and in North Carolina. Now it's spreading. Look, there are zebras running loose in Maryland right now.
1: And for for weeks, it's amazing. I know.
0: It's, something's going on.
1: Well, one of my, uh, my my dog Zoe would very, very much like to chase zebras. I just know this about her. But, so what I find interesting, and it never really came into focus until hearing you talk just now, your libertarianism really is, uh, chauvinistic towards humans right oh yeah because like
0: i'm a save the humans guy
1: you're but like 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 when like when it comes to immigration oh but like, by all means let's bring in you know foreigners to do jobs americans won't do but like bringing in snakes <laughs> to do jobs american snakes won't do you're against it correct okay right. I just correct. Want to get, no no i way.
0: i am uh i am vigorously uh pro-human uh-huh. and uh anti-cobra fair okay uh, okay vigorously um, oh, and by the way, we also had bears running loose in Raleigh at one point during the same period. It was it was legitimately a weird, I, like nature had really retaken. Well, the have you city. seen the pictures
1: in Rome? Wild boars are all over the place in downtown Rome. It's <laughs> amazing. I'm not I'm not making it up. Look it up. I mean, it's like I just was reading a Reuters piece about this. There, we need to reassert dominance, Jonah. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, um, and then there's this other thing. Like I was, you wanted to talk about Fat Bear Week, but yeah. have you seen that that otters in Alaska uh-uh. are river otters in Alaska are now? I'm not again not making this up. People use your Google machines are declaring open war on humans and dogs, and there have been a bunch of but otter so otter attacks, river otter attacks. And the thing is, like I don't know about the river otter, there are a lot of unbelievably. Unbelievably cute sea otters up in Alaska. Yeah. I've got, done a lot of fishing up there. And it's like a Disney movie. They come around your boat. They got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on their belly. And I mean, it's just, they're really, yeah. really cute. But I cannot imagine how painful an otter bite would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they 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 chew open like oyster and mussel shells. <laughs> you know, and they're Good really point. strong Good bites point. and sharp little gnarly teeth. And it would, it would suck.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to I mean there maybe we need some sort of um, strike force. I don't know. Maybe. But something really needs
1: to be I've done. been complaining about the invasive Burmese pythons in the Everglades for a long yeah. time. They're a real problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you know, to the extent that, you know, these otters and zebras and bears and cobras start reproducing or heaven forbid cross reproducing. Right,
1: exactly terrifying yeah it's like remember when homer wants to um breed his dog and his cat <laughs> yeah. and he says i will breed the ultimate animal with the loyalty of a cat and the cleanliness of a dog
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, heaven forbid
1: um uh but fat bear week do you have strong views on fat Bear? i just think it's great
0: i think it's you know it's very much body positivity Uh i uh i love that these bears are living their best life they're out there getting ridiculously fat we're celebrating it as we should um and it's really honestly also just hilarious the pictures of these morbidly obese yeah really fat bears but then hey look it's like me in the fall, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Uh, bathing suit season is over. I'm gonna, you know, basically get into fat Scott months, and then after Christmas, you know, I'll, I'll work it off. And that's what the Bears do. So it's all good.
1: Yeah, I'm looking for Fat Pundit Week where I get praise for having uh, found my COVID nineteen. The double some, standard
0: is is yeah. rather thick there. Um, yeah, I don't get I don't get a lot of praise at home when I'm <laughs> wearing my elastic drawstring in December.
1: But the uh, the thing about Fat Bear Week is that. It is so compelling that even my wife, who is more anti-bear than you're anti-cobra. Mm. Again, from Alaska. Right, right. Um, yeah, bears
0: have great PR. This is something yeah, we've discussed that's before. Right. Bear bears, propaganda.
1: fantastic PR. Yeah, 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 yeah. Meanwhile, Blue Jays, as you point out, have amazing PR and they're horrible, right, horrible animals. Right,
0: A lot yeah. of bad animals have have excellent PR. It's yeah. probably Edelman.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, like... um um. The ones I think actually have the best PR aren't grizzlies, but polar bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The polar bears are mean, nasty, mean animals, and they, unlike grizzlies, I mean, grizzlies will eat lots of things, including your face, but polar bears basically live almost entirely on a diet of cute animals, and they don't pay any price for it no. whatsoever. It's very annoying. No, they're on the Klondike bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And dolphins are rapists. They're not, they're not great. Um... Actually, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, you insp- We got into a Twitter thing about this, and you inspired me last year to do a whole piece about bad animals and right. how they do bad things. Um, yeah. So, all right. We'll have to get to the nacho update next time. Yeah, um, Appreciate it. Scott Linsicum, uh, by far the most popular trade economics writer at Dispatch, <laughs> 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 also a scholar uh, at the Cato Institute and... Um, a renowned uh, anti-cobra, pro-human uh, nacho aficionado. Thanks for coming.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, so Scott Linscomb has left the uh, studio. Literally left the studio because we're actually doing this in studio. It's very exciting. Uh, let me know if you can detect a difference in the tone or time, uh, tone or mood of the show because we're actually doing it in, um, in I guess what they would call a neuromancer, the meat space um and uh that's all i got really we'll have a i think we're gonna do another solo remnant uh ruminant thing tomorrow and uh please come on by the dispatch if you can sign up for the free stuff or maybe sign up to become a subscriber which would be even more awesome and um other than that i'll see you next time i know you won't this is a podcast